This episode is brought to you by Vanguard Wellness. Vanguard Wellness supports Canadian military veterans as they navigate their journey through psychedelic therapy to overcome PTSD and depression. I've personally gone through the treatment and I've had great success. As a veteran Vanguard, we can help those who suffer by providing education, guidance and support to ensure you have the most successful journey possible. Mental health isn't black and white, so why should your treatment be? Connect with us today at vanguardwellness.ca. Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Amy. Thank you for joining us on the Pathways to Healing podcast. Pathways to Healing is a podcast that showcases new and emerging therapies like psychedelic assisted therapy and other effective strategies that allow you to heal and live a more fulfilled life. Many of us have or will suffer from mental illness at some points in our lives. This is especially true in the veteran and first responder communities. From PTSD, depression, anxiety, and addiction, there are alternative therapies available. This is the Pathways to Healing podcast. On today's episode, we get the opportunity to learn about meditation and mindfulness from Sharon Salzberg. Sharon is a meditation pioneer and a world-renowned teacher. She was one of the first to bring meditation and mindfulness to North America after completing a study program in India over 40 years ago. She co-founded the Insight Meditation Society, which now ranks as one of the most prominent meditation centers in the Western world. She's written 11 books. She's a New York Times bestselling author and a popular speaker at many events worldwide. In our conversation, Sharon starts out by telling us about her childhood, her introduction to Buddhism, and how she brought meditation and mindfulness to mainstream America. Thank you very much. So like many people, I had a very troubled, kind of turbulent childhood Um a lot of loss, a lot of uh, disruption. My parents got divorced, for example, when I was four. Mm -hmm. My father disappeared. My mother died when I was nine. I then went to live with my father's parents and and on it went. And uh, I went to college when I was 16. I'm a product of the New York City public school systems, (laughs) which like to have people skip grades. So Mm -hmm. I was quite young. And um, in my sophomore year, Uh, I took an Asian philosophy course, which was really, it was like there was a philosophy requirement. Mm -hmm. I had to do some philosophy course. And honestly, looking back, as far as I remember, I looked at the schedules and I thought, that's convenient. That's like on Tuesday. I'll do that one, you know. (laughs) And so, of course, the the course totally changed my life. Mm -hmm. I'd say there were two things uh, that were most important. One was, you know, like my family, like many families, was one where um, there was so much conflict and there was so much pain and no one ever spoke about it, you know. So I didn't know what to do with all of those feelings inside of me. And when the class, the philosophy class got to the section on Buddhism, they talked about how often the Buddha talked about the suffering in life. Mm-hmm. For most people, is like a big bummer, you know, <laughs> like... You know, it's a lot on suffering, isn't it? Yes. But for me, and and I think honestly, uh, genuinely so, uh, in terms of what it was meant, 
it felt to me almost like the first time in my life that I was getting the message that I belonged. I wasn't so weird. You know, my family didn't look like anybody else's family. And, um, and yet here was the message saying, this is a part of life. Not that we all suffer in the same degree or same measure, because we don't. But that vulnerability, we all have it. We're, we're, none of us is left out. Absolutely. And so it was this tremendous sense of inclusion for me. Hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I don't have to, like, hide my experience or be ashamed of it. It's like, this is a part of life. That's awesome. And the other thing that happens in that class, which, of course, was very important, was that I really heard in some greater depth about meditation practice and that there were actual methods, there were techniques you could do that would help you be happier. <laughs> so I was going to college in Buffalo, New York. This is 1970 by now. Yep. And I look around Buffalo, I don't see it anywhere. No meditation. <laughs> no meditation, not like now, you know? Yeah. So uh, I created an independent study project and presented it to the university saying, I want to go to India and study meditation. Yeah. Did you have any pushback on that piece? No. Just go. That part was, you know, I mean, education was kind of wild in those days. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they said, yeah, go. You've got a year. Beautiful. And so I had like student loans, I had scholarships, and that's how I ended up going to India. That is awesome. So you found meditation um, and um, you brought it across to us and we're very thankful that you did. Um, Now, what are you up to today? (laughs) (laughs) I know you did tell me you were writing a book and I'm not sure if you can talk about it or not, but... Yeah, Um, so running the book, (laughs) a little late Uh, The retreat center, the Insight Meditation Society, is just through the woods, a very little distance away from my house. I'm I'm in Barry, Massachusetts. Uh, I also uh, often stay in New York City, and I used to travel all the time. I haven't traveled in quite a while, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've I've largely been up here. I am writing a book. It's uh, due April 1st. I had a, a chapter due tomorrow which is gonna be a little late (laughs) i just wrote to my editor and said how about next week Mm -hmm. (laughs) what an opportunity sharon had at a young age to be given the gift of awareness you know what it's like when you're a kid it's so easy to feel alone and ashamed simply because you don't have the life experience to understand that many people struggle and have challenging family situations. Absolutely. It's always nice to know you're not alone. Even if you're given an opportunity like that, it doesn't always mean you'll benefit. I know I wasn't ready as a teenager. Either was I. I mean, really, in reality, it took almost into my 30s before I started learning the lessons I needed to know that Sharon was so fortunate to get in her teenage years. Question I have for you is, um, one way meditation has benefited me is I've been able to recognize that I'm more than my thoughts. When I meditate, I can't always control my thoughts, but I can at least observe that they are completely out of my control. Uh, There's some comfort to this. uh, You know, you can at least step outside the busy mind, and, and this helps me navigate the ups and downs of daily life. 
Why do you think meditation is so important? And, and in what ways could meditation help military and first responders deal with PTSD? I mean, meditation, uh, there are many kinds of meditation, of course. That's one thing to mention. There are practices of kind of stillness. You're sitting still or you're lying down. There are practices of moving, you know, walking meditation and, and other kinds of things. There are lots of ways of doing it. And I think what's really helpful is... First of all, I hope people feel empowered, you know, to check out different varieties and and see what might be interesting for them right now. It's not like a lifetime commitment, you know, and mm-hmm. and and pursue it. The hardest thing about meditation is that you have to actually do it. You can't just admire it from afar, which would be a lot easier for us, <laughs> you know. But that's like carrying around your yoga mat wherever you go and never getting on it, you know. Yes. It's like... <laughs> So you have to sort of think, well, what am I actually going to do and um, what interests me? In in general, meditation has uh, a bunch of benefits that um, these days are being validated by scientific research. You know, in my time, like when I was young, <laughs> going to India, it was all intuition. Like, wow, mm-hmm. that just feels like it'll help me, you know. Um. So the first thing is centering. That's akin to what you were saying. It's having some sense of uh, an anchor. Like if I think I was going to describe myself in one word at the age of 18, it would be fragmented. And one of the uh, foundational exercises in meditation is being able to gather our more scattered energy that's ruminating about the past or anxious about the future bringing that energy together and just settling. Mm-hmm. So we get a sense of, of genuinely being like centered, whatever is going on. We could be, you know, having tumultuous thoughts and all kinds of things, but we're not enmeshed in them. You know, we have this kind of ground that we can return to. And on building on that, which is often the foundational exercise, like uh, feeling your breath or being with your body, something that gives you an anchor. Um, Well, actually, I'll I'll stay with that for just a moment. So a classic beginning exercise would be choosing an object of awareness. Could be an image or a mantra or sound or the breath or anything. Resting your attention on it and then noticing my mind goes all over the place. (laughs) It's not that long, Mm -hmm. you know. And then being able to practice letting go is what one of my teachers called exercising the letting go muscle. No blame, you're not adding shame or isolation or you're not freaked out about what you're seeing. It's just like, not now. Yep. I'm doing this other thing. So we actually practice letting go. And then we come back to that original object, which is really a resilience training. It means I can make a mistake. I can blow it. I can be a million miles away, but I can start over. Mm-hmm. You know, and the great temptation in that, and I'll use meditation just as an example because it translates immediately into our lives. The great temptation is to, like, blame ourselves for four hours for our attention having wandered. I can't believe I was thinking again. Why am I thinking? No one else is thinking. They're sitting here in bliss. I know they've conquered this immediately. They know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. All I'm doing is thinking. I'm so bad. I'm so terrible, right? That's usually where we go, just out of habit. And if we dive into that and roll around in that, not only 
are we adding kind of considerable length sometimes to the distraction, but we're so exhausted, mm-hmm. so demoralized by that. We don't just have the energy to, all right, I'm starting over. I'm picking up. And so that is really the key skill, honestly. Huh. Uh, and it's really important and it's doable. It's not something that we tend to trust, but it's actually doable. And it's so important because I saw right away, it was very hard for me. And I thought, how many times a day do I have to start over? You know, like mm-hmm. going in a certain direction. And I realized oh, I need a course correction. I need to shift this up a little bit or I fall down. I make a mistake, you know, and I either have to pick myself up or let others help me up. And I start over. If I spend the whole day blaming myself for having blown myself for having blown it, that's a waste of a day, you know? Yep. Yep. And so that is from the get go. That's something that appears. It's like a skills training. And then on top of that, Um, we kind of open up our attention. So it's not just that original object, the breath or whatever it was, but strong emotions come up and we learn to be with them in a different way. Mm -hmm. That means neither fighting them and hating them on the one side, nor just being overwhelmed by them on the other. And so it's a very certain kind of skill to be able to uh, have just enough space so that we can be with whatever's appearing without being lost in it, without pushing it away. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill. It's a skills training. So we learn how to, I mean, that's one of the places where we might see, I'm not so alone, you know, or I have this habit. Um, I can see what's going on. I can admit it. I can acknowledge it. I can love myself anyway or respect myself anyway. I can remember this is changing or I can have perspective on it. So, for example, I thought of this earlier with the question. I was talking to one of my friends, one of my colleagues the other day, who's uh, 85 years old. Her name is Sylvia Borstein, and uh, she describes herself as a recovering catastrophizer. (laughs) Like her kids are now in their 60s, right? And she said, I call one of my children and they don't answer the phone. Well, the worst has happened, you know. Yeah. She said, it can't be that they're taking a shower. <laughs> or, you know, they fell in love. They don't feel like talking to their mother. It's like, it must be just horrible. So she got into meditation because she was so haunted by those thoughts. And I'd say, she will say, not in the same amount by any means. But those thoughts may still come up, for sure. <laughs> and she just... She has so much more space from it, so she has so much more choice. So what she says when she sees that kind of thought was, she's so funny, she had a, a new saying, was, uh, not every bus ends up in a ditch. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. just like, cool it, yeah. you know, you call them again later, you know, it's like. Yeah. So if we have enough space from our sensations in the body, from thoughts and feelings we have some choice do i want to carry this out or do i want to try to let this go Mm -hmm. and then um there's some in the skill of meditation which i think is the weirdest thing of all because on the face of it it looks like a totally solitary activity like you may be all alone 
you may be sitting with your eyes closed, or you don't have to be, but you might be. It looks like you're you're cut off, but in fact, we get so much more in touch. We also get a lot more kindness to ourselves and a lot more kindness to others. Mm-hmm. You know, we can listen better. We can sort of take someone in better, and and we think, wow, you know, life's not easy often, and and we. Uh, we just come to that, you know, even though we may be practicing all alone. And so all of it is about skills that come into our life, that come into our every day. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, what you said about um, first responders or, or veterans or um, even active duty military made me think of a, another friend of mine, this neuroscientist named Amishi Ja, who has a lab at the University of Miami. And she does a tremendous amount of research um, on mindfulness and that population, people high uh, performance athletes, first responders, active duty military, veterans, uh, veterans families. Mm. And um, she's found that, well, we, we have discussions about this. She says um, 12 minutes a day of meditation practice will actually change your brain. There you go. And change your nervous system and give you new skills. Mm-hmm. I, I always tease her because I say, well, I don't know if it's healthy to go for the bare minimum, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I find meditation can be really frustrating at times. There's so much information in regards to what approach to use or how long we should do it for. I love how Sharon explains things so simply. So I asked her what her thoughts were on this. Okay, well, I would, I would divide it into two approaches. One is a formal period of meditation. You're sitting down or you may be walking, you know, whatever your posture is. You have this idea that for the next X minutes, I'm just going to be working to deepen awareness and kindness and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not also figuring out my vacation plan intentionally like that may come up for sure yeah but that's not your intention it's just that's why i call it like a dedicated period and i kind of go with her even though i tease her in that um i've heard some neuroscientists say seven to nine minutes a day she says 12 i usually say if you can do 15 to 20 minutes i think that's good Mm -hmm. if you can only do three do three yeah because everybody says it's the consistency that seems the most important, you know. So, and I say to her, actually, what she says, Amishi, Josh, she said 12 minutes a day, three to five times a week. Hmm. And here, I think self knowledge plays a role because I say, in all honesty, three to five times a week is not, doesn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Because what I would do is it would be Monday, and I'd think, I'll start on Wednesday. <laughs> then it'll be Wednesday, and I'll think, I'll do it three times on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but every day is every day. It's actually easier for me mm-hmm. to think about every day. Um, but that's me, you know, and so you have to sort of see what's reasonable for you, what you think you can actually do. Mm-hmm. And don't assume you're going to do it for the rest of your life. You know, pick a time frame that seems right two weeks a month a week whatever it is Mm -hmm. 
that you think you can actually fulfill and do that. Um, the other part of meditation practice is not what we would call meditation. Usually it would be like um, drink a cup of coffee mindfully, something like that, some activity. You're going to do it anyway. Yep. Usually you don't taste the coffee. You don't really appreciate the coffee. You're checking your email at the same time or you're, you know, on a Zoom at the same time or you're, you know, you're doing something. Yep. yep. And so nothing that takes like an endless period of time, but you can just take a few moments, feel the warmth of the, of the cup and feel the, the weight of it and smell the, the coffee mm-hmm. or the tea, taste it. Um, and we sprinkle those activities throughout uh, because they help us enjoy our life more and connect more. And also they give us a sense of pausing. And that's what we want. We want just a few moments sometimes before we react. Uh, you know, like the most well-known example these days is uh, probably from uh, – Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, who said, don't pick up your phone on the first ring. Let it ring three times and breathe, and then you pick it up. Hmm. Um, or I know people who say to me, I've gotten in the habit of not pressing send on the email Yeah, right away. But I take a few breaths. I read it again. I decide, oh, do I want to change anything? You know, because email is a funny medium to... You can often misunderstand somebody because you don't have any verbal, clue, you don't have any, you know, f- nonverbal clues. And, yeah. Um, and if I feel like oh, this would be weird to get as a recipient, I write it again. Yeah. You know, or before you have like a big phone call or an important meeting, uh, to take one minute, just one minute, to kind of breathe and feel your body and mm-hmm. get grounded, and then you go into the meeting. You know. And they're fun, those things, especially if you, like, realize I never really taste that coffee. <laughs> I keep buying more expensive brands, and it's like a total waste. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually sitting here right now thinking about that, and I'm like, you have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm going to implement that into my morning and, uh, and try to feel it more, for sure. Yeah, I don't talk about it too often, but it's kind of exactly what you're describing is how I've kind of altered my meditation practice. I used to be much more formal, you know, try to do 20 minutes a day. And but, uh, and you know, that was great. I learned a lot out of that. And then I, I felt like it needed just to evolve a little bit. And it was more, you know, I was looking at it as like mini, mini meditations or mindfulness, as you call it, but really just like at the time that you need it the most to take those moments where either you're either just focusing on your breath, you're trying to relax your, your nervous system, um, or you're really trying to capture the beautiful, you know, sunset or, or whatever it is. Like I find, you know, capturing as many of those moments in your day really make for just a happier life. And, and there's so much beautiful, you know, things out there and we don't always need to stress or react as quickly as we do. So like that, that has been my, my new method. I don't talk about it a lot, but what you're describing is exactly what I've been doing. So, so clearly other people are doing it and it's working. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. I know meditation's changed my life since I started meditating and I found out through you and, you know, I, I like I said to you the other day, we were listening to, 
Sharon's meditation, and I was just like, this is the most beautiful thing. Yeah. You know? Every time you do it, it feels good. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. I love Sharon's advice to wait three rings before picking up the phone or pressing send in an email. I know I've regretted pressing send in the past, when all it takes is a few breaths and some thought before reacting. I wanted to ask Sharon how veterans and first responders can improve self-love. I know for myself, I can be rough around the edges and sometimes people will take that the wrong way. I know a lot of fellow veterans who also struggle with self-love and if you can't talk about it, how can we fix it? It's completely understandable, Trevor. I mean, the environment that you worked in for many years, it's very authoritative and it has very little compassion for making mistakes. You're also left with the memories of what you had to do while you were on tours. Yeah, so I was curious about loving kindness meditation and how that can soften our approach. The first thing I want to say is that, you know, these kind of really high stress experiences just leave a residue in our nervous system, you know? And and uh, I've appreciated, like, you know, I went to India, and so my um, experience, my first experiences of meditation were really in that kind of, like, philosophical context or something like that. It's only been later that there's been all this research and, mm-hmm. you know, science and, like, what actually happens in your brain? What happens in your nervous system? Mm-hmm. You know, and we're we're very um, wired, you know, to fight or flight, and especially when you've been through something that's so intense and... Uh, it's like our, our nervous system just flips there, you know, with some pressure, some comment, some incident, you know, which is yeah. there. Now they've added, like stress psychologists have added freeze, you know, like mm-hmm. this fight, yep. flight or freeze. So that made me happy because I felt that was much more me <laughs> than uh, <laughs> fight or flight. And then they've added a fourth, which I haven't figured out at all, you know, like, <laughs> but anyway, you know, we, we act automatically. It's like mm-hmm. our nervous system takes over and, what they're finding is that meditation actually gives us options. Right. You know, you may feel that first flickering of fight or flight or freeze or whatever, but you have enough space from it and you know how to switch, mm-hmm. you know, to something that will be more grounding so that you can respond to what's going on, but it's not so automatic. Yep. You know, so, so that's what actually happens. And part of what um, the investigation is, uh, is what makes things worse, you know, and part of what makes things worse is like a heap of self-judgment yes, and blame, you know, I should have been able to control this. Why am I feeling this? Like I've been meditating now uh, for uh, 51 years. <laughs> I'm that old. And, uh, Amazing. And, uh, you know, I have, if I wanted to go there, I have a new thing to say to myself, which is, You've been meditating for 51 years, for God's sake. Why are you still feeling that, you know? (laughs) Haven't you gotten anywhere, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But uh, remember, it's using somebody like that example I gave of Sylvia as the model. The (laughs) same stuff may arise, but you will relate to it very differently. Right. You'll have much more space, much more ability to let go, much more ability to regroup, Mm -hmm. to start over, to not get engulfed in something. Um, and that's the point, but usually we feel down on ourselves because the same stuff is arising. Yep. Yep. And we're focusing on the wrong criteria. So, 
Uh, and so loving kindness plays a, a really, and toward ourselves, plays a really big role because it's just habit. So many of us were brought up in a way, um, you know, what is strength? Well, strength must mean being hypercritical, you know, or, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and even just the words like loving kindness or compassion is so gooey, you know, like mm -hmm. how stupid is that, you know, to go there. <laughs> and so you have to unwind a lot of, of beliefs and old conditioning and, yep. uh, and then we can see more deeply. It's like probably um, the person I've worked with uh, closest to war zone was somebody who um, he wrote to tricycle magazine, which is this uh, Buddhist magazine when he was on active duty in Iraq. And he said that he'd been interested in meditation before he enlisted. And he was wondering if they could find like a pen pal for him, someone to write to him yeah. while he was serving. And so they sent it to me thinking I could find somebody for him. And I thought I'm keeping him, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> So I had a pen pal That's and awesome. and we wrote and uh and then um and he was you know a remarkable person and then um when he got out I didn't even realize he he'd come home uh he came to do this retreat unbeknownst to me I mean I was here but I wasn't leading the retreat and everything is about you know seeing what's smart for you it's like I wouldn't say an intensive silent retreat where no one is looking at you and no <laughs> one is talking to you. It's the best thing to do within two weeks. You know, it's like, it's too, it's just not the right form, but he came anyway. So he was here. Huh. And, uh, the person who was leading the actual retreat, the actual leader was a colleague of mine named Rodney who had started, I think three different hospices in his life career. And, you know, so we were working with this, this guy who was really struggling, you know? Um, and at one point Rodney said to me, don't you realize he's grieving? Hmm. You know, and I thought, Oh, that hospice experience really came in handy because he was somebody who'd enlisted lots of ideals. He had a lot to grieve, you know? Yep. His actions, shattered ideals, I mean, everything. And and once Rodney said that, then it put it all in perspective for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you help someone through a grieving process? Well, you don't judge them, you know? Yeah. And you also see it could be you, you know? Like, we all have to let go. We all go through sorrow. We all, you know? Uh, and the last thing you want is a person to be down on themselves for what they're going through. It's the most natural thing in the world. Like someone wants to find trauma as a normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, and so uh, I just find that component is, is really, really crucial. I personally like how Sharon talked about being wired to respond to incidents following the fight, flight, or freeze. And I love how she spoke about meditation 
and how it gives you options. And I completely understand about what she's saying when she talks about creating a space or a gap between your event and your reaction. It just makes sense and it's why I find breathwork so effective, probably. Just taking six deep breaths when you're in a stressful situation can literally change your mood. I know I've been telling you to take a deep breath when you need it and when you get stressed out. And, and personally, I've used mini meditation and mindfulness every day to help me deal with the ups and downs of daily life. So it's definitely a useful approach. You mean dealing with me? <laughs> well, maybe some <laughs> days. Back to the subject of loving kindness for a minute. We also heard that Sharon had some useful approaches to how we can use anger for good. Yeah, I mean, part of uh, my first response is that's why I think two things are really helpful if you're going to try to use meditation as part of a path, you know. One is a teacher who's experienced enough to not be offering just a formula, Mm -hmm. you know, because the whole idea in meditation is... It's a belief that if we bring our system into some balance, we can deal with whatever's happening in a better way. And so, and balance always looks different. Some people are really, they're so disengaged. They're so far back that balance looks like come forward a little bit, like (laughs) let yourself feel anything. You know, other people are just swamped by emotion and they're defined by it they have no space and so for them balance might mean like step back a little bit you know right but you know and so you never should feel you're doing it wrong because our needs are always shifting and if you have a guide who can respond to that it's really good Mm -hmm. um and you know i have this friend jack cornfields who was a monk in thailand for a while now you know one of my colleagues and he he said he went up to his teacher, who was a very great Thai meditation teacher named Ajahn Chah, and he accused him of being inconsistent. He said, you're never giving the same advice. And, and Ajahn Chah said, well, it's like you're walking behind someone down a road and they're about to fall off into a ditch on the left. So you say, go right, go right. <laughs> or they're about to fall off into a ditch on the right. So you say, go left, go left, you know. Um, so having a teacher who's not going to give the same instruction to mm-hmm. every single person, whatever they need, is helpful. Yeah. And the other thing is a community, because obviously it's not just you, you know, it's not just one person experiencing anger, for example, which is a form of grieving also, yes. I would say, back to my original thesis. Yeah. Um, you know, so how to deal with it, it's a process, you know, like we never want to blame ourselves for what we're feeling. You know, I'm looking for my, somebody sent me a cup that said, uh, I have, people send me cups with things I often say. Yep. So now I have a collection of them, <laughs> you know. So one says some things just hurt. They just hurt. You know, that's true. Uh, that's not going to stop, but we can be different with the hurting. Yep. And uh, one, one cup says we feel what we feel. Yep. The gap we're looking for is is between what we feel and how we act. Right. <laughs> you know, so how to deal with that anger so it's not destroying our family life, or, you know, or right. how to be with it in a way so that it might be constructive, you know, it gets us moving. It's us trying to seek change. But so here, you know, I come back to the Buddhist psychology where they liken 
the positive part of anger is the energy, you mm-hmm. know, yep. and it is, it is a genuine positive thing. The negative part or the damaging part is like they liken anger to a forest fire, which can burn up its own support. In other words, it can devastate the host. It can devastate us. Mm-hmm. And like a forest fire, it might leave us very far from where we want to be. Right. You know, we lash out at the wrong people. We send the wrong email. We send the wrong email. I've done it many know? times, Sharon, and I feel so bad. Some, it's just like, come on, Trevor. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know, so uh, it's a combination. The meditative approach is a combination. Don't blame yourself for what you're feeling. You can learn how to be with it differently. So you're both not enmeshed, but also not condemning. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the actual skill of the meditation, and you're not alone. So let's explore what may be some more positive ways of expression. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I do. I I do talk to a lot of veterans. <clears throat> excuse me about being alone and and that whole feeling. And I'm a true believer that no one should ever suffer alone. So I get that piece for sure. Yeah, you definitely need a good support network. It's definitely a good part of the healing path. Yeah. Yep. And you deserve it. We all just, you know, it's like society is not evolved exactly in that. No. We're, we're moving direction. away from each other. You know, all this yeah. technology, right? Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, Sharon, like, you know, I, I haven't really put this out there yet, but I've, I've lost over 30 personal friends to suicide. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, whenever I go back there and visit that situation, it's always a breakdown of your network, your whole, your, your whole family. And it's unfortunate, really, because for me, the network is everything and I need that support or it just doesn't work for me. I know I really love the point she made about the importance of community and support. Talking with fellow veterans who've been through what I have is so therapeutic and I find healing in healing it's also important to have good family support and be able to talk about the things you've been through with them not everyone has a partner who listens like you but it's made a world of difference to me to have you to talk to I know knowing that I won't be judged is really important absolutely Supportive relationships and being part of a community are important for everyone, but it's even more critical for veterans and first responders as they go through the healing process. Since self-love and anger were major themes in our conversation, we thought it would be useful to have Sharon guide us through a loving-kindness meditation. If you'd like to join us, we will do a 10-minute meditation and we'll be back to wrap up the show. So we repeat the phrases over and over again. And I'm going to give you some sample phrases because it's up to you. But rather than spend this whole time thinking what phrases you want to use, (laughs) you might just experiment with the ones I suggest and then decide. And the skill set is really the same. Your mind will wander or you'll fall asleep. You'll go all over the place. No problem, truly. The important moment is the next moment. You realize, oh, it's been quite some time since I last... Repeated a phrase, see if you can let go Mm -hmm. gently and come back to the repetition of the phrases. Usually we start, and this is hard for a lot of people, with offering loving kindness to ourselves. 
and we end with a more kind of global open offering. Um, if it's not a practice that is benefited by struggle. So if it's really, really hard to start with yourself, um, start with a later category that I'll suggest. Like someone you do feel grateful for, you're just happy. Yep. Uh, and do your, yourself a little later, you know, it's yep. up to you. Yeah. Uh, but kind of classically, you'd start with yourself, you'd end with all beings everywhere, all of life. And what you do in the middle could be different all the time. And maybe you have a friend having surgery today, so you want to be sure to include them. Or you have a friend getting an award today, you want to include them. Or you're going to the grocery store mm -hmm. and there's a particular clerk. You don't even know their name, but you see them a lot. Yep. You know, so you want to include them. Yep. Okay, so I'll guide you through it. Okay. You can sit comfortably, close your eyes or not, however you feel most at ease. And it's fine to shift midway, whatever, whatever works for you. Common phrases people use, and again, remember this is an experiment, beginning with yourself, are things like, may I be safe? Some people prefer feel safe. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. Live with ease means in the things of day-to-day -day life, like livelihood, family, may not be such a struggle. May I live with ease. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. You can repeat these phrases over and over again. Sometimes people say, who am I asking? We're not asking anybody anything. It's gift-giving. It's offering. It's like a blessing. It's like you're handing someone a birthday card. Say, may you have a great year. But we're starting with ourselves. May I be safe. Be happy. Be healthy. Live with ease. And if you find your attention wandering, it's okay. See if you can let go and just come back. You can bring to mind someone who, when you think of them, you smile. It's like an embodiment of the force of love. Maybe it's someone who's helped you out. Maybe they helped you directly. They helped you help pick you up when you've fallen down, or maybe you've never met them. They've inspired you from afar. Could be an adult, could be a child, could be a pet. I actually use a puppy sometimes in this part of the meditation because my friends adopted a puppy as a family and they're much happier than they were before. So I use the puppy. Is there someone who you just think of them and you feel like a lift or, or you smile? 
So if there's someone, you can bring them here, get an image of them, say their name to yourself, get a feeling for their presence, and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them, even if the words don't seem perfect. They're like a vehicle for the heart's energy, so they're serving us. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. And then a friend, let's say the first friend that comes to mind. You can bring them here, get an image of them, say their name to yourself, get a feeling for their presence and offer the phrases of loving kindness to them. And we're going to have a gathering. Whoever comes to mind, friends, family, colleagues, puppies. And offer loving kindness to the group. May you be safe. Be happy. Be healthy. Live with ease.
And then all beings everywhere, all people, all creatures, all those in existence, near and far, known and unknown. May all beings be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes or lift your gaze and we'll end the meditation. I know I found this conversation very useful and I hope it helps your meditation practice as much as it helps mine. If you haven't started one yet, then I hope this gives you the motivation to do so. Being able to calm your mind is a valuable skill and allowing yourself the ability to create space between the event and your reaction will help you when you need it most. You're only a few breaths away from a good or a bad day. And like Sharon said, the hardest part of meditation is actually doing it. So use it as a tool when you need it. And if you wander, because we all do, forgive yourself and start over. Well said, Trevor. Sadly, that's it for today, but if you'd like to learn more about Sharon Salzberg, visit her website at SharonSalzberg.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share with your friends. We also ask that you pay special attention to veterans, active military members, first responders, and their families, because most of them are suffering alone and in silence. Let's work together to provide some information that may change their lives. This episode was recorded at the Hemmings House Studios with the help of our producer, Greg Hemmings, and edited by Hayden McNamee, and music provided by audionetwork.com. Please follow our Facebook and Instagram pages for links and more episodes. Thank you and have a great day.